0: Are you looking forward to speaking to Ellie? I'm so excited. I'm so excited I literally I love all her documentaries You have to pick your favourite What would it be?
1: Oh it has to be This sounds really bad But you know Out of context But um Child Brides That was It does yeah. sound bad Out of context <laughs> I just had no idea Like that it was still Such a You know A fairly big thing That was still happening In America It was really disturbing And really eye-opening And educational Which is all you want From a documentary Isn't it? What I
0: really want to know From Ellie is like She obviously pitches All of her ideas And gets them committed and I'd just love to know how to do that I don't think I've ever tried to pitch an
1: idea See, I have the opposite problem I'm forever pitching ideas And I are just forever getting patched So I I would love to know what the secret is To get them through um, Or maybe she can just, you know, hit me with the hard truth Maybe they're really, really bad We'll find out
0: <laughs> Yes, let's speak to our first guest Ellie Flynn
1: Hi, I'm Olivia Wilson. And I'm Rachel O'Neill. And this is Media Rookies, a podcast which aims to ask the questions you're dying to know the answers to. This
0: week, we sat down with investigative journalist and filmmaker Ellie Flynn, who's
1: best known for her BBC Three
0: documentary series, Ellie Undercover.
1: Ellie, so um, obviously you've had lots of documentaries on BBC Three. It's probably what you're best known for. But have you always wanted to be a journalist and was documentary filmmaking always the route you wanted to go down?
2: I have always wanted to be a journalist and um, ever since I was little before I even really knew what it was I think that I just when I was younger I liked English I was quite good at writing and um, and I didn't really know what what job that would give you or, or, you know, what you could be outside of an English teacher. Um, and someone said to me once that, you know, you'd, you'd make a good journalist. And from there I was like, Oh, okay, well maybe I'll do that. Um, yeah. and yeah, I think, so it's something that I was always interested in. I was always really, really nosy. I was always interested in writing. And so that kind of, I set myself that path at a very young age before I really understood even what, what the job entailed. Um, and i initially wanted to be a writer um and i, I went to uni i studied english um i did a, a nctj course afterwards in um magazine journalism i mean i didn't know any journalists i didn't know anyone that did it i didn't kind of know how you got into how you got into it or how you sort of started off in that job so i um i wrote from for the tab when i was at uni um i did a bit of student radio i started um kind of applying for for work experience and stuff and and didn't get replies from anywhere or anyone because it's incredibly competitive. And and then this kind of distant connection of someone I knew um, had an email address for someone that worked in the fashion department at the Daily Mail. And I was like, okay, this is my in. Um, And I I sort of applied for work experience and after sending about 10 emails, they got me in and I just sat in the fashion cupboard for a week um, sort of coming out and asking if I could do anything at all. Not really getting very far. So, um, I, I, I decided to do this this um, course after I finished uni to try and because I thought it would open a few more doors and it, you know, it'd you be an easier way of sort of trying to root into the industry and originally I, I knew I sort of I thought I sort of wanted to write features maybe um, but maybe more news features that were um, slightly more kind of serious that looked at issues um, in a bit more depth and when I was there I sort of, as I learned more about kind of what journalism is and how many different sort of all the jobs that you can have there I realized that investigations was probably the route that I wanted to take and so initially I was I was just sort of working as an online reporter and um, freelancing trying to kind of get work in any places that I could um, and then d- the documentary thing came further down the line by a bit of chance. Do you
0: think you would have you know gotten that first job without a journalism degree because I don't have a journalism degree and I feel like that's often a barrier when there's like journalism jobs out there so do you think it's unnecessary
2: if you're applying for those jobs a lot of people um ask me this and the course that I did it was at City University um and it was kind of when you looked up journalism courses it was the one that was um
1: yeah I went there yeah yeah and it's re- it's
2: re- it's a great course but it's really like it puts you in a huge amount of debt. It's a wow. you know it's a big thing to take on, and it's not the best path. You know, I personally think it was worth it, and I learned a huge amount, and I don't think that I maybe would have got the jobs as quickly if I hadn't. But I've got friends who did the same course as me who feel otherwise. So it's it's really really hard to say. And and when people ask me for my advice on whether they should do that course, I always say it's so personal. And you know, I think I don't want to I don't want to tell anyone that that's the only reason That whole year of kind of extra study when you could be working, when you could be looking for other ways into it. Um. So it's a really hard one. I think. More and more with social media, the world of media is opening up um I think that there is more access to journalists to editors um you're able to publish your own content to do your own investigations to write kind of write things and just publish it in a in a way that people can see it and can access it and that can sometimes be the launch pad that that you need as opposed to going through a more traditional route. Yeah. And I mean, how did the BBC Three documentaries come about? So when, um, while I was studying and, and doing that course, I wrote an article for Vice and it got picked up by quite a few different publications um, and it sort of ended up uh, getting published quite widely. Um, and that was actually, that was really my first Big break in journalism, um, where I, you know, I had this story. I knew it was interesting. I pitched it to so many places. I sent, I sent so many emails trying to get this story published, um, and nobody replied to me. And in the end, I think after sort of hounding Vice four or five times, they finally got back to me um, and said that I could write it for them. And then, um, and the son got the Sun got in contact and asked if they could run the story, um, and they wanted to interview me. And I was, you know, I said that. They couldn't just run the story, but if I could write it and they'd pay me, then we could do it that way. So it was kind of that, that it was just a bit of chance really that gave me that first opportunity to actually get any paid work in journalism. Um, and um, the production company got in contact with me and said, Would I be interested in being in a documentary about catfishing? Um, and I said no, because I had no interest in being on TV. Um, I didn't want to be a contributor in a documentary. I didn't, we didn't expect it to blow up in the way that it had. And some of my friends were feeling quite nervous about the fact that their photos were then being published in a vice article. Um, and so, yeah, I said no. Um, and about a year later, the same production company came back to me and said, okay, well, you don't have to talk about your experience yeah. so much. Um, but would you be interested in investigating other people's experiences? And, you know, it more of a reporter job. Um and at that point, I'd been been working at The Sun for a bit and I wanted to leave. And I was really trying to find a way out of fast turnaround online news. Yeah. Um, and I was applying for so many jobs and I wasn't getting anything. Um, and so I was like, yeah, gone." And I was like, sure. I never, ever thought it would happen. It was kind of this thing that I had meetings about and that they'd sort of say, oh, things are moving forward. And I was like, okay, I'm sure they are. Um, and I was still applying for all these other jobs and I was still trying to look for other things that I could do. And then, yeah, about a year after... Oh, sorry, and then I've missed a key point. The catfish documentary never got commissioned. Um, but in the meantime, I'd met the commissioner at the BBC, I'd met the production company obviously, and they said, Well, we'd still love to do something with you. So kind of uh, how would you feel about because I'd told them that I'd done a bit of undercover work. They were like, How would you feel about an investigative undercover series? Um and so we came up with. They were like, Have "You got any ideas that you, you know, you want to investigate?" And there was a couple of things I've been looking into. And so we pitched this series called Ellie Undercover um, that would investigate a few different issues. And um, yeah, about a year later, one of them got commissioned. I mean, I'd never done a screen that's... test. i would never been on on camera. I don't know. I don't know what was going through their minds cause...
1: I mean, that's amazing. It's really cool. But and I was going to say as well, it's really interesting that you said that you had been, especially when you're at the start of it all, you had been pitching um all these ideas and all these articles and stories that you wanted to kind of get picked up and you know write yourself and deliver yourself and you had to really graft for it and I think that's a key part we always kind of talk about journalism and how much hard work is how competitive it is but I I think sometimes you see the finished product particularly with documentaries and you think wow that's so great you've probably just you know you've pitched it they've liked it it's a great idea and you know tickety-boo a few months later you've got a documentary but there's I imagine there must be so much work and graft and you know pitching several times and it not making through like how how often like were you having to pitch for articles and hearing back and how often were you having to pitch for documentary series even the ones say after your first initial couple like is that something that's even now, even this year, I've pitched
2: so many ideas that haven't been commissioned. You know, so many that kind of get close and then don't make it. Some of them that are, you know, nose from the start. And I think that's one thing that is really important to especially young people trying to break the industry to realize is that I think you see someone who had a page, you know, a front page headline in a newspaper and you think, wow, they've made it. Like they must, mm. they must get all the work and they must have people kind of fighting for them to, um, pub, you know, to publish something in their newspaper. And that's not, that's not how it works. I think even for people even for people at the top of their games, you know, that's not even where I am. Like, I think it's still a graph. Like, you still have to work hard because there's always there's always someone else that wants to do it. There's always going to be other people with brilliant ideas. And I think you're never entitled to work, um, really, no matter what stage you're at in this.
0: It's amazing that the documentary fell through, though, and the producer still wanted you on board to do yeah. something. What was it, do you think? Uh, was it, like, your relationship? Or was there, you know, a USP... About yourself that he liked, or yeah, what was it?
2: I've honestly, not got a clue. I think <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. maybe it was because we discussed in passing that I'd done some undercover stuff, and I think they felt there was a gap in the market for um, undercover reporting done in a more it's not it's what I'm looking for. It's kind of I suppose a way that's more accessible for a younger mm-hmm. audience because um, you know I think often you associate undercover. Um, programs with being quite serious um, you know really quite like a hard watch yeah. a lot of um, you know a lot of undercover footage that you have to kind of then be talked through in a way that can sometimes feel quite oppressive um, and I think they, they wanted to try and you know do those really important investigations and do those stories that can only be told with undercover reporting but in a way that felt a bit fresher and um, so I think that's that's probably why yeah I got that job what
1: I find really because I've never obviously done kind of investigations it's not my area at all and I imagine because as you say you've mentioned about the fast turnarounds and news and you know that's the kind of area I work in and I wonder how much planning and how much time does it take to do all these kind of undercover stories and it sounds like a daft question but like how do you how do you find these stories because these are stories that are usually things that we don't know about so how do you stumble upon them do you have sources that kind of tip you off you know do you slide that that brown envelope you know in the park bench (laughs) paper in hand like how does it all work
2: yeah the first part of your question it takes a huge amount of time um doing anything undercover is a real kind of investment um as a journalist as a um broadcaster because I think people sort of assume that it's just, you know, I, I hear about something and then I pop on a wig and a secret camera and off I go. Um, and that's, that's just not the case like there's You have to meet a really high legal threshold to even be allowed to film undercover. Um, so you have to have a huge amount of evidence to show that there is some, something that's either illegal or it's such serious wrongdoing that um, it's justified to go undercover. Because, you know, it's it's a huge invasion of someone's privacy mm-hmm. and it's, it's not something that people do just for fun or just on a no. whim. Um, you know, you have to really, really be justified in your reasoning to, to go undercover. Um, so it takes a really long time and there's a huge process in, in you know, providing evidence and proving that there's um, an issue and proving that there's illegality before you can even get something commissioned and before you can then even get sign off to go undercover so that can take months sometimes and then the second part was so some of it it will be you'll find that something's been reported in a kind of local newspaper um but it might be part of the story so for example rent for sex which was the first documentary that Mm. i made a local news report uh, um, of people looking for rent for sex agree- agreements and I was like oh that's interesting I wonder if that's happening all over the country and you know you look on crisis and you find out that it is and then the next question is well the adverts are there but how do we know they're actually real people that do have spare rooms that are actually looking for women to stay in them then you have to kind of start those conversations with the people to to try and establish whether they are a real person and whether they're really offering one of these arrangements and then once you've established that the next question as well has anyone stayed in an arrangement like this has anyone actually taken them up on it and they were the kind of steps that we went along as, as we developed the idea for rent for sex and um, so you kind of get You can get a part of a story in in something like that, something like local news. Sometimes it's just, you know, you get so much from from what people say to you. It
1: sounds almost like you just kind of, you're challenging something you've seen. So it's essentially asking a question. If you can't answer it, then maybe there's something there and kind of following the, well, I suppose following the money is always a good way to get a story, but following your questions and curiosities. Absolutely, I mean, Sometimes it's
2: it can be as simple as just what's the question that comes to mind when you hear about a new thing you've not heard about. So with OnlyFans, for example, um, the director that I worked with, that was actually, he'd come up with the idea for the film. Um, and that was because a couple of people that he knew from back home uh, had started using OnlyFans and... It was kind of people knew about it and people started to speak about it, but it still felt quite under the radar. Um, yeah,
1: it came out when it was still kind of fairly unknown, I felt. So it was great timing.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so it was it, it was definitely kind of, there was something interesting to look at there in terms of, of, you know, a more observational documentary. But then one of the first questions that came to mind when we looked at the site was how easy would this be to get on? if you were under the age of 18 and is that happening? And then all you need to do is kind of ask that question and then if you start looking for the answers sometimes... What's the best way to pitch it? Like, What's the most effective way to go about it? Yeah, that's a tricky question because there's, there's lots of different ways that you can. Um, I would say for someone who's got an idea they think would make a great documentary, um, if they want to try and get that broadcast somewhere look for independent production companies um maybe look at programs that you've loved documentaries that you've loved that you think i'd love to make something in that style or i think that this idea would be great um exactly like that and then look at the company that's made that um program and a lot of documentaries are made by independent production companies and then pitched to the BBC. Um, and I think that that can sometimes be a bit of an easier route in because I think a lot of people um, will think they should go directly to a commissioner or directly to someone who works in-house at the BBC. But sometimes I think that you might get more chance of getting a response or of getting someone look at your work if they're from an independent company when maybe they're not getting quite as many um, pitches.
0: Is it always better to do it like face-to-face or do you think like a good email would do?
2: I think... Um, Well, I'd start by sending an email um, and just outline what the kind of key piece of evidence that you have is or the key piece of information. So for example, some people will say, you know, sometimes I get ideas pitched to me and they'll say something like, oh, I think that it'd be really interesting. To, I want to make a documentary on this subject. And it'll be a really interesting subject, but it will be a subject that people know about already, it's already been reported on. And I'm sure it would make a good documentary, but what are you bringing to this pitch other than just, this is an interesting area? Because if you think it's an interesting area because you've read it in news reports, then everyone that works in TV is going to think it's an interesting area because they've seen it in news reports and they'll all be working on ideas. So it's so important that you always have a unique angle or a sort of new way of coming at it, and often that can be just from the people you know, from where you're from. There's stories all around you, and if you look at some of the documentaries, especially the BBC does, they they really focus on issues that impact communities or areas or young people in in any way that feels quite local. Um, so often you'll find stories around you that um, you might not even realise the stories that might make something interesting.
1: And I suppose as well, it kind of links to um, what you were saying just then. What I suppose the key question is if you are pitching an idea, whether it be a documentary or um, a report or whatever, if, especially if you're starting out or trying to get your foot in the door, how do you kind of go about saying, this is an idea I have, I think it's really good, and I get to the point where they agree, but what's to stop them saying, you know, why Why should you do this? Or is it enough to say, this is my story? Like, do you have to have like a personal experience or a special interest or knowledge about something to kind of take it forward as it were
2: yeah that's a that's a really good question it's something that i think a lot of people um ask when they start out rightly so people are worried that you know the idea might be taken away from them um you know they don't want to give away too much information so i would say always be cautious about um for example if you're going to pitch something to someone i would make sure that you've got a, an interesting angle or a new angle that you think is unique. So if you can then go to this production company and you don't have to tell them exactly who you've got access to or exactly what your you know your new line is, mm. but you can say, I've been working um, on an investigation into this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the new piece of information that I've learned and I have access to four different people who could tell their stories or yeah. share expertise on this issue. Mm-hmm. And then you've made yourself indispensable because you're the person that you're, you know, you're the journalist that's brought that story. You're the person that has everything that they would need to make that production. Uh Um, so that, that would be my advice. Just make yourself as indispensable as possible and make sure that, you know, you, anything that you work on, work it up to such a standard that, a, they'd really want to commission it, but B, they can't commission it without you.
0: I always think, like, I don't know if I could be undercover or I would always be so afraid yes. that someone would, like, know who I am. Um, or do you ever get scared in those situations or do you think it's a job that you kind of have to be fearless
2: about? Mm. It's funny. When people ask me, especially after the sex programme, if I was scared, I think it's almost this feeling that I was scared because... Um, you know, because of the situation I was in, is it dangerous? Yeah. Am I, you know, am I going to get hurt in some way? But you, you, there is so much planning that goes into any undercover investigation and any undercover shoot where my producer's, you know, listening in on a microphone in the same room, my director's right outside. We have a full contingency plan to get out of it. Mm. if anything ever goes wrong. Um, but the fear is that you're going to get caught. Yeah. And the fear is just that it somehow... I mean, mostly because I wore those terrible, terrible wigs. Um, <laughs> they're just so... I can't believe that nobody said to me, why are you wearing that ridiculous wig? Um <laughs> So I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's the fear that someone's going to say, you're a journalist, why are you asking these questions? Are you wearing a secret camera? And then everything's blown. Um, and that's that's really nerve-wracking.
1: No, yeah, I was going to ask, actually, what's the best piece of advice that's been given to you? That's really hard. Um,
2: the one that's coming to mind, and I'm pretty sure I've actually been given some more useful advice than this, but it's very specifically for... They just said that if you're just really, really happy and you just pretend like you don't quite understand anything, it's really disarming. And so people think she can't possibly be an undercover journalist. That was my main, that was the main advice that I was ever given Um, because obviously you go and you have to answer, you have to ask certain questions and sometimes you can worry that that might be um, a bit suspicious. Yeah. So the support that I was working with said, just ask the question you've got to ask and then just kind of say something about loving dogs. or just (laughs) um,
1: Like my hair? (laughs) New wig. (laughs) (laughs) On the flip side of that, what's like the worst piece of advice um, that you've been told? Um, or maybe a comment that's been made on your journey that you kind of want to dispel. Or- I think.
2: I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily dispelling anything, um, but I think the one thing that is so important for anyone that is young and trying to get into this industry has is an almost fearlessness, and you can that can be completely fake. Because, you know, I'm not fearless. I get so nervous. I hate rejection like anyone else does. But you have to get over that because if you give up after the first email you send doesn't get commissioned, or if you give up after someone tells you your is not good, even now, I'm still getting way more rejections than I get um, than I get commissions. And you have to be able to work through that and you have to be able to say, okay, so let's be pragmatic about this. How can I change what I'm pitching? What can I do to make this story work? And sometimes it's a case of saying, okay, I thought it was a great idea, but it's, you know, it's obviously not working. Um, or maybe it's just not of interest. So what's the next thing that I can look into? Um, and I think it's really, really important that you have that pragmatism and that ability to kind of put any, any fears or, um, you know, those, those natural anxieties almost to a side or to be able to kind of work through them to, to keep going. And it's really hard and it's something that I'm definitely still working on. But yeah, it's really important. It's
0: so interesting That you're like I'm definitely not made it But from my perspective I feel like you definitely have (laughs) You're like the goal Um, A problem that I have I'm like almost 23 And I know that's really young But I panic that I'm not Where I want to be in my career Like just on my plan I suppose do you ever panic about that or do you kind
2: of just take everything in your stride and as it comes all the time and it's so funny when I do these things where I give advice I'm like lol I don't take any of this on board myself and I'm here giving all this wisdom like yes you can't you know just put your anxieties to the side don't worry be confident I'm like I don't do any of this um yeah, I think a the fact that you're 23, you're so young, you have so much time. I was I was not doing any of this at 23, um, and you always you're always going to feel like time's getting away, and that everyone else is more advanced than you are. And you look at these really brilliant, really successful 22 year olds on TV and think I've missed the boat. And actually, sometimes I make myself sometimes I make myself feel better by looking at journalists that I really, really, really rate, or people you know in in the kind of industry that. Um, we're in who are doing really well and I look at how old they are um, and I look at kind of what they've done and people have years and years of experience these things don't happen overnight and sometimes it feels like they do because someone will just pop up and they'll look really successful but yeah there'll be a huge amount of work that has gone in in that period before they have suddenly seemingly made it. Um, yes, it's funny. I was speaking to one of my friends about this the other day, and we were both saying, you know, we, we feel like we've done well, but, you know, there's so much more we want to do. And, and then we sort of said, you know, we're, we're 28. We've still got so much time. You retire at 65. Um, like we've got years, years, years ahead of us and years to work. And in, in 20 years' time, we're going to look back and think, I can't believe that we, in yeah. our 20, were worried about not having done it all because there's so much time to do it all. And it, all the brilliant people that, you know, I really respect and who I go to for advice or who I trust in the industry, yeah.
0: they're,
2: not, they're not 22. Um, <laughs> no <offense. laughs> um, there's, lots of, there's lots of brilliant 22-year-olds who are doing amazing work, but those years of experience do give you something um and we have to i think our generation particularly everyone feels like they want everything all of a sudden got no time to like take a second it's it's like you've got to just be the best at everything and you've got to be the best at everything at 25 and that's just not realistic
1: i've got to say and i'm sure rachel will agree um you know if you ever are having a day where you're feeling like oh i need to get you know somewhere in life just drop us a line because we'll we'll fangirl you, yeah, we'll be there thinking you've made it <laughs> So you ever need a boost we're here <laughs> yeah i i'm definitely guilty of that um i think it's something about like being in your 20s you just as you say you just want everything at once and you're just very go 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 um but i suppose yeah looking at all the work you've done so far what what are you most proud of and and why
2: oh that's such a hard question i think um i think rent for sex is still mm. my proudest piece of work just because it was a story that I'd, i was interested in for a long time i'd been looking into it i've been starting to do the work myself it was the first documentary i made um and i mean i think that i've definitely improved as a journalist and um you know as a as a presenter since then um and i feel like everything i do gets slightly better um in terms of the kind of work that goes into it and i think that's just what happens with experience but i was so proud of that because it was this mad thing that i just never thought would happen um and it was such a long time in the process um and so much hard work went into it that i think yeah that was probably my proudest
1: thank you so so much for chatting with us um and you know giving up some of your time to give us such great advice um really lovely speaking with you now i'll let you go for a cuppa Thanks so much for tuning into this episode stay updated on our social media pages just search media rookies on facebook instagram and twitter this podcast was an original creation by rachel o'neill and olivia wilson with special thanks to olivia acres who created the artwork for this podcast